And I invite up Erin Collier to share this morning's reading. It's from a talk given by Rabbi Sharon Bruce. She writes, I want to share with you one of my favorite stories from my tradition, a rabbinic story, a midrash, of an early encounter between Abraham and God. Every superhero has an origin story. This is Abraham's. A parable is told of a traveler en route from one place to another when he sees a barah d'alaket, a palace consumed in flames. He stops and asks, how can it be that the palace burns with nobody taking care of it? Who is the caretaker responsible for this place? At that moment, the owner of the palace pokes his head out and responds, I am the owner of this place. So too, the Midrash says, Abraham looked out and saw that the world was on fire, and he wondered, how can it be that the world burns without someone trying to save it? Who is the caretaker responsible for the world? At that moment, God responded, I am the owner of this place. I love everything about this story. I love that, despite his busy life, this person looks up and sees that something is on fire. I love that he's a traveler, someone who is out of place, on the move, who has somewhere to go, someone with plausible deniability. He could easily argue that this burning palace is not his problem. But he doesn't. He stops and asks. I love that he works on the moral assumption that someone must be responsible demanding to know who it is. This question is what forces the owner to take responsibility, wills him out of disregard for his creation. And I love that the question is, who is the caretaker? And the answer is, I am the owner, meaning you, you who notice that my house is on fire, you are now the caretaker. This story, of course, is not only about Abraham. It's about anyone who sees herself as a spiritual descendant of Abraham, those whose spiritual inheritance is to be awake, to see. The first thing for us to know in these breathless times is that we must not be phased or disheartened by these fires. There have always been palace fires. Our most ancient spiritual calling is to see them. As people of faith, it's in our shared spiritual DNA, wakefulness, willful opposition, restless agitation, the demand that we show up as pursuers of justice and righteousness is as ancient as our most sacred texts. My Jewish tr tradition is centered around obedience to God and observance of mitzvot, commandments, and yet the central charge of our tradition is to stand in defiance of unjust power structures. Our heroes are those who stood up for the vulnerable, who risked everything, challenging both God and man to fight for what is just and right. So let's get back to that burning palace. Barah Dalaket, the Midrash tells us. There's a powerful ambiguity built into the Hebrew text that allows us to read it not as a palace burning down, but as a palace radiant with light. In that case, what does the story teach us? The traveler is on his way when he notices a magnificent palace, a work of art, radiating beauty. It stops him in his tracks. How can it be that such beauty exists in the world, he asks. Who is responsible for this place? And just then, the owner appeared and says, thank you for noticing my creation. Come, let's work together to take care of it. Who then is Abraham, the one who stops in awe and wonder, 
who sees beauty when others are too busy, too distracted to notice. I arise in the morning, writes author E.B. White, torn between a desire to save the world and a desire to savor the world. This makes it very hard to plan the day. This speaks to how I feel most days, but not today. This morning I woke up and my first thought was, today could be the day that my godchild joins the world. She's due to be born tomorrow. And we all know that things of nature, life and death, snowstorms and hurricanes, nat natural processes don't really care if we have a schedule or an appointment or a due date. Nature runs on its own time. And my second thought upon waking up is, how will I live into this charge and this honor of being asked to be this baby's godparent? How will I teach her as we ask godparents here to do in our own child dedications at UUAC? How will I teach her about faith and hope, about beauty and God and love in a world where such terrible things happen? And then my next thought is, I cannot wait to meet this baby, who I already love so much. And how is it possible that we can lose people and love people and our tattered, worn-out hearts can expand to love again and again and love more. To take on risks of loving again and again in this world that offers no assurances and no safety. Worry and wonder all woven together. The Weepies, a musical group that I have long loved, sing, you get what you take from it, so be amazed and never stop, never stop, never stop. You gotta be brave, cause all this beauty, you might have to close your eyes and slowly open wide. All this beauty, they sing, you gotta be brave. And I look around at our world and the beauty seems like it is so precarious, so fragile. You've gotta be brave to live in a world with this much beauty and this much heartbreak. And today on Earth Day, I think about how often I find beauty and awe and wonder in our natural world. As spring finally, finally starts pushing up green shoots, giant trees, spectacular sunsets, the feeling of being in the middle of the woods, quiet and peaceful. This beauty is enough to make me wonder how it is all possible. It brings me to a place of deep awe and deep reverence. And yet it's not far behind in my mind this Earth Day with statistics about climate change and the reality of droughts, hurricanes, heat waves, environmentally forced migrations, fossil fuel reliance, rising sea levels, famine, ecological havoc. I look at the beauty and I think, how can we have done this? It is so heartbreaking to see an earth so beautiful and so broken all at once. When I was in 10th grade, our science class started a unit on epidemiology. 
Our teacher started this unit trying to get us interested in this subject by reading a chapter from the book, The Hot Zone. Does anyone who read The Hot Zone? I didn't read it, just this chapter. <laughs> this chapter that she read us contained some of the most gruesome descriptions of the effects of the Ebola virus, which I won't repeat for you here, but suffice to say they were quite graphic. And I am generally not a squeamish person. I grew up around a veterinary hospital where my mom worked, and I would sit in the corner and watch dogs getting surgery entranced on a stool, because there are no strict regulations in veterinary hospitals, unlike people hospitals. Dinner table conversations at my house about medical matters would not be considered acceptable in most households. Anyway. The point is, I was not squeamish, but something about this raw and graphic description about just how a virus can wreak havoc on the human body on a molecular and systemic level just really got to me. And in the middle of science class, I started feeling faint and flushed and too hot and out of breath. And I started feeling trapped as I listened to the description of the effects of the Ebola virus on the human body. So I got up from my lab stool and I threw up in front of my whole 10th grade science class. The one saving grace was that I made it into the trash can. I got sent to the nurse's office. And by the time I got to the nurse's office, I was a fit calmer, but very much still short of breath. The school nurse astutely recognized it as a panic attack, and she suggested that I step outside, walk around, get some fresh air, calm down a little bit. And as I slowly paced in front of the sidewalk in, my high, in front of my high school, taking slow and deep and full breaths, I noticed the shoots coming up. I sat down to examine their progress. And I remember the warm, cool sun on my face, a day much like we had yesterday or today. And I tried to ground myself in the moment. What we had read in science class was real, but it was not happening to me right now. The horrors of how nature, a virus, could take over a body were slowly pushed out of my mind as I watched this nature grow right in front of me, as I heard the first bird calls of spring, and I slowly, slowly got my breath back this earth holding great beauty and great danger at once. Rabbi Sharon Bruce, who we heard in our reading today, writes, when we something, see something that's beautiful, we call it breathtaking, but really it's breath-giving. When the struggles of life constrict the heart, it's awe that stretches it back out making us more compassionate and more loving and more present. Here's how that works. It's when we think we're alone in the world, when we think our struggle is not seen or not heard, that we despair. That's when we suffer from kotzer ruach, a shortness of breath. It's really a shortness of spirit. It's a kind of anguish that the children of Israel had when Moses first appeared to them. We can't hold it on our own. But when we experience something awesome, 
Whatever, whether that is a shared astonishment at the sight of an eclipse, or whether, whether that is the ecstasy of a perfect harmony, or when we share a broader sense of purpose with a million people out on the street at a ma mass protest, that's when we get our breath back. Awe and wonder. It is fear that is breathtaking and awe that is breath-giving. And in this world where such beautiful and terrible things happen, we all need to breathe regularly. Focus on the breath, we repeat as we meditate. Deep breaths, we say to crying children. Take a breather, we tell tired athletes. As I wait for my godchild to draw her first breath, I remember how in Hebrew the words for breath and spirit are the same word, ruach. That's what Rabbi Sharon Bruce means when she says that kotzer ruach, a shortness of breath, is really a shortness of spirit. And who here has ever felt like they are short of spirit sometimes? Living in this world that is so beautiful and so dangerous is so, so hard. It requires a lot of spirit and courage to savor a world that we cannot entirely save and to try to save a world that we savor. Rabbi Bruce in concludes her interpretation of the story that we heard in our reading of the burning palace by asking, so is the palace burning down or is it radiant with light? Her answer is, it's clearly both. There's a lot of fire out in our world today, but if all we see when we look out is danger, we need to rediscover the beauty. And if all we see is endless beauty, we need to be reminded that there's a lot of brokenness out there that needs fixing. This is the reason the work of faith activists matters so much today. The reason this hour calls not only for resistance, but for prophetic resistance. Because to fight this fire, we must remember to hold both wonder and indignation, appreciation and agitation. So is the world burning down or is it radiant with light? It's clearly both. And either way, the answer is we are the caretakers, called to attend to it. We are called to live fully in our wonder and in our heartbreak. Whatever happens, to breathe. And when our breath is constricted, we need to find whatever it is that gives us our breath, our spirit back. Because, as Rabbi Bruce says, the goal of religious life is not to escape the world as it is, but to be awake to it, its bruises, its fires, its brokenness, and it's also to breathe hope and life and possibility back into that broken world once we've gotten a glimpse of the wondrous, the beautiful, the magnificent. My friends, may we make the brave choice to love this world, this earth and its people, in all of its awe and in all of its heartbreak. May we find moments of awe that can stretch our constricted hearts back out, giving us our breath, our spirit back. May we hold both wonder and indignation, and may we see both the flames and the radiant light all around us. 
May it be so, and amen.